page 137, if you have your copy of Demystifying Patanjali with you, or any version of Yoga Sutras, really. Fortunately, we're working with Patanjali's words mostly, and so we can work out of any book, but then it's not page 137, so don't be confused. In that case, we are on Sutra number 5, where we ended on the fourth Sutra. We, Patanjali introduces this concept of Samyam. When these three, and he just introduced Dharan, Dhyan, and Samadhi, are all directed toward their end, meaning even, even in this there is a cohesive uh, direction, you know, that this is where I'm going. Even in our meditations, we can, you know, sometimes we're not very clear where we are going. Oftentimes, in fact, we sit and there's a certain vagueness to our experience of meditation. And even in that, we need to make sure that there's a very clear goal every time we sit to meditate. What is it that I'm seeking? And of course, uh, the technique helps also bring to the fore an experience, as we were talking about, especially when we were talking about pratyahar, when we're turning inward our senses, the senses are going inward to awaken an experience. The senses are turning away from the world also to have an inner sensory perception. And that experience comes, as we said, through light, it comes through sound, it comes through feeling, comes through that expression of joy, it comes as intuition, and whenever that feeling comes, or whenever an expression comes, then we have to hold firm to it. And then these three stages come from their dharand, dhyan, and samadhi. And when they're all three are united toward that common goal, that is samyam, the attunement with or complete absorption in. And so we talked about samyam, and the very word samyam is to bind to. We um, said in our previous class that this is perhaps in many ways the most important stage of our meditation. This is when the technique is left behind and we just get to stay in a state of absorption. And we enhance and intensify that state of absorption. Oftentimes people have a little experience and, and that's plenty for them. They, oh, I, I saw a little purple stuff today and I had, you know, I really felt very calm. And you know, that's for them, oh, that was good. That was a great meditation. But they don't enter into the stage of samyam, which is the binding off. We talked about why is that so important is because then you bring that into your life. If you don't do that, you don't carry that experience into your life. And so the longer we can sit in samyam, which is a state of where the technique has been left behind and we're sitting just in that stillness, in that silence, with absolute focus, with the intention of complete absorption. That's the real state. That's what we should be longing for. So be willing to let your technique go earlier than and to enjoy that period more and more. By the mastery of Samyam, and this is the fifth sutra now, comes intuitive understanding. And this is something our guru often said. This is where intuition is developed. When you sit in that silence, that's when... In, what is intuition? Intuition is a, a knowing of. I already know it. I don't have, there's no logic to it. I didn't arrive at this understanding. I didn't break it down. This is not a subconscious memory. This is an instant awareness. And what, when, when will you have an intuition of? When you've completely connected with something. When you connect with a person completely, then you will have an intuitive perception of them. When you connect with any reality, you begin to develop an intuitive perception. And so that period, again, stressing on it is so vital, so important. But then, Patanjali kind of, he backtracks just a little. And he says, Samyam is to be practiced in stages. Now what happens oftentimes in people is, Thoda hongso kar liya, and we feel good. And now, okay, bas, I just want to sit. And we're not interested in that deepening of, especially a lot of people have a hard time if they've done Hongso a little longer to switch into Kriya. Because Kriya suddenly is a little bit more active, is a little more dynamic. And I was enjoying Hongso and I was enjoying that stillness. And so it's not that ki, oh, thoda sa acha lag rai, rok do. Let, let me now be in this samyam. Go as deep, die for the pearl and then get there. Get to at least the depth of this depthless ocean. 
Don't just say, oh, I, I went just, you know, a foot below the waves and I'm already enamored with the ocean. I'm already happy. This is great. Now I'm stopping. So he's saying, practice samyam also in stages, which means keep coming to it again and again. Practice it, go back into a technique. Practice it again, go back into a technique. Practice it again. And how do we do it? Hongsa, silence. Kriya, silence. Om, silence. We, our, our masters have constantly stressed. Technique karo, then go into a period of samyam. Technique karo, then go into a period of samyam. With the intention of deepening, 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 deepening. But again, the goal has to be very clear. We can't just be like, oh, okay, this is some set routine that my masters have asked me to do. It's the same, you know, when you're, say you're at the gym. Don't we have a period of rest between certain sets? And in fact, oftentimes, it's that period of rest that is actually the crucial aspect. Because if I just went from exercise to exercise to exercise to exercise, I don't give a chance for my muscles to relax in that state of enlargement. You see, that's what's building the muscle in the first place. The same is true for our meditation. Practice samyam in stages. And then in that final, when you've done all the techniques that you're aware of, or that's part of your sadhana that your guru has given you, now see how long you can intensify and stay in that stage. These three, which is dharan, dhyan and samadhi, are more internal than the other five limbs. Now that's obvious. We, you know, we saw each of the five limbs, yam, niyam, of course, is very much an external reality, even though it's more of an attitude we are carrying, but it's, it's very related to the world. We're receiving a lot of feedback from the world in order to see how we're perfecting our yamas and the niyamas. And of course comes asana, it's to do with the body. You've got, you know, then the pranayam, there's a very active element to it. Pratyahar is the internalizing of the senses. Pratyahar is where that little shift begins to happen. But once pratyahar is over and established, now everything is a very inward. There's no outward aspect to it. We're not engaging the mind in any very specific way except holding it as still as we can. So then that internal reality begins from that point. Even these three, again, Dharandhyan and Samadhi, are external to the seedless Samadhi. Now, this is something Patanjali spoke about before. He, he, for some reason, I guess it's a very important aspect, he likes to keep saying, you know, there are many Samadhis and you've not gotten there yet. And so don't just assume if you've had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful meditation that, that, you're, that you've achieved the goal. That's still, that's still an external reality to the seedless samadhi, which is the nirvikalpa samadhi. Then he says, of course, in savikalpa samadhi, the kind of first stage, the lower of the two samadhis, there still remains in latent form impressions of objective reality. What is objective reality? The material world, based on objects. It's a, it, we're all in an objective reality, which means you all see this harmonium. You know, I see this harmonium, you see this harmonium. It's not subjective. It's not like I'm seeing a box and you guys are seeing a harmonium. So it's really up to us how we decide what it is. No, it's an objective reality, which is based on sensory perception. So what he's saying here is you might achieve a very deep state of meditation, even samadhi to a certain degree, but because the impressions, the memories, the latent uh, awareness of the objective world is still so strong, every time you come back, you'll still see the world as you've been seeing it. A Yogananda, on the other hand, when he would say to his disciples, I see you all as light. Nobody else was seeing that light. Everybody else saw John and David and, you know, whoever, whoever, whoever. And so they're very much in that object-based reality. Yogananda is seeing a very different reality. And for him, closing his eyes, opening his eyes in meditation, out of meditation, that reality is changeless. I see you all as light. We're not there yet. You may have a beautiful meditation. You may go into an amazing space. But then when you come back, you're very much, the harmonium is still the harmonium. People are still going to annoy you. <laughs> you know, the issues that you were dealing with, you're still going to work on them. And so that's the peeling off, little by little, the shaving of the ego begins to take place at that stage. When his flow of awareness becomes strong and steady, 
the vrittis having been smoothed, this flow then becomes natural to him. So, we're trying to shift here. In samyam, we start becoming more comfortable with light as a reality. Right now, light's not a reality for me. It's a word. Oh, God, you know, shine your infinite light. I'm going to send healing light. What light? I don't see any light coming out of my hands. I don't see any light doing anything. So, for most of us, light, love, truth, joy, these are very, you know, theoretical truths. In Samyam, they start to become actual, tangible, real, you know, truths that we're perceiving. But every time we step back out of it, we've lost that truth. And so the idea being, we have to keep going into it over and over and over until the awareness becomes strong and steady. One reason why we need to meditate every, 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 every day. We lost the internet? Yeah. <laughs> it's raining here, so I don't even know if the internet's on, but I'm saying it anyway. We might lose the internet every now and then. Um, so then this flow becomes natural to him. Now this state starts to become more natural. He also starts to see light. And he also starts to see, you know, concepts of joy. He also starts to see the divine more and more easily, where before he saw people, things, circumstances, karma. Now he starts to see God. As mental distractions dwindle and one's focus becomes more and more one-pointed, so one's inner identification with the samadhi state increases. Now I found this uh, an interesting sutra and a very reassuring sutra because on one hand, he's already talking that you're in a samadhi state but he's also suggesting that while in the samadhi state, there's still distractions and your focus is still not one-pointed. Which means we can enter these lower samadhis even ha not having achieved that perfection that sometimes we think we have to in order to. Because he's saying, mental dis as your mental distractions dwindle and as your focus becomes more one-pointed, then this inner identification with the samadhi state increases. So that means you, we can see that there's, a, there's an intensity that we will experience. And all of us, especially those of us who've practiced the OM technique, um, because for you know, sound being a very, very easy, tangible, you, you're not thinking that you're imagining it anymore. With light and all, sometimes it's like, am I visualizing it? Am I seeing it? And you know, it comes and goes. But with, this, with sound, especially with the OM technique, if you've kind of gone deep enough in it, you can really have a very, very powerful experience. But even at that time, you're still aware of the body. Your mind still do, you know, moves. At that time, your focus isn't 100%. So what Patanjali is, you can say certain, in a certain way, saying those deep states are possible even without. And many of us have perhaps touched aspects of that deep state. So it's a very reassuring thing. It's not like, this is not even going to be close to you. No, you'd be able to experience aspects of it even as you're working toward it. When the waves of past and present impressions become smoothed, there comes complete inner calmness. And this, again, we've talked about as the distinction between uh, the two samadhis, or after samadhi, in fact, what comes is that we're still working out our past impressions. So even if in a present reality, you've started to recognize that this version of God, so Shurjo, as defined by this body, this personality has gotten very close to uh, unity with that divine experience. Now, even while that's becoming truer and truer, there's still a lot of past Shurjo as he was in a hundred thousand other incarnations. Even those realities have to find unity. Even in that, you have to see, oh, it was just God, it was just God, it was just God, it was just God. Only then, finally, does that experience become truly solidified, that complete inner calmness. Because these vrittis, of course, as we know, are not from this incarnation alone. In fact, the majority of our vrittis are carried forward from the past. And so their identifications are still linked to a certain degree 
to those past identifications. Thus has been described the transformation of a false reality into its changeless essence. And so this is where Patanjali says, now, you know, once we've established this truth, now we get to see reality as it truly is. As Master said, I see you all as light. That never changes. If you're in a mood, the Guru's still seeing you as light. If you're very happy, he's still seeing you as light. I see you in many different ways. Today you're good, tomorrow you're bad, today you were very friendly, tomorrow you're very indifferent to me, today you're a little younger, tomorrow you're a little older. We're only relating to each other in a constantly changing, evolving reality. I see you all as light. That's never going to change. And that's the state where we want to get to. I see you all as that changeless spirit. Change resides in prakriti or nature, which goes through dormant, emerging, and potential states. So this very change, there's nothing much to say about it. You know, let's, let's think about it in, in the divine terms. There's God in each of us, dormant. At some point, each of us realize that there's this reality that I'm seeking, and we begin to bring it out and start to emerge out of us. And eventually it reaches its absolute potential. And the same is true in all aspects of nature. We see the seed, we see the little sprout emerging, and we see the plant, we see the tree in its highest potential. So these flows of change always exist. The succession of these changes is a stimulus to evolution. This very change allows us eventually to experience the changeless once we get to that perfect potential. By samyam, or that attunement or absorption, on the three basic kinds of change, in this case, birth, life, and death, comes knowledge of the past and future. So when we start to tune into these three realities, birth, the dormant, the emerging life itself, and death, that potential, my life is over, it's expressed everything it possibly could. And that cycle begins again. When we bind these three, when we tune into them as the same, when we have complete absorption in these three changing patterns of our lives, then we begin to have knowledge of past and the future. Because even in the dormant state, the highest potential already exists. So I can already start to see that this dormant tendency in me, what is its potential going to be an incarnation from now, two years from now, day after tomorrow? This emerging thing, this action that I'm involved in, where did it come from? Where is the past dormant state of it? And where is it heading in its full potential? So when we unite these three realities, then past and future, of course, no longer are away from us. They're no longer distant, but one and the same. By the practice of Samyam, now Patanjali shifts um, gears a little bit, and he moves out of the more traditional practice of meditation into the idea that Samyam, this, this concept of absorption or attunement with, can be applied to all aspects of our lives. And this is, again, a very important part of Ashtanga, is that it's not about meditation alone, but these same eight limbs, these same eight stages, apply to all aspects of life, samadhi being the idea of uniting with whatever goal. You want to unite with success? You can use Ashtanga as part of that process. You want to unite with love, with the relationship, with the person? What do you want to do? You start with the amniyam, there's do's and don'ts with what a relationship needs. Then there is how you carry yourself in a relationship. Then there is a control of your energy in the relationship. The absorption, the ability to absorb, to internalize what that relationship is about and then to completely focus and unite with it. And you can do this on all levels, at work, as I said, in your relationships and of course with meditation. But here he says, by the practice of samyam on a word, its significance, and the feelings awakened by these, one comes to understand the inner meaning of any word. So this is a place where you can then take into your meditation, into this practice, 
anything that you're trying to work on. Say somebody said something to you. Say you had a particular altercation with somebody or anything. Or in our particular case, I take a word of my guru, something he said. And I bring it into my meditation. It's a beautiful practice at the end of your meditation to always bring something in. You know, bring in an affirmation, bring in something you're trying to figure out, bring in a question, bring in a circumstance, bring in a situation that's going on and place it in that state of samyam, in that state of absorption, in that state of meditation that you've created and then see what comes from it. Because remember what Patanjali said, from here comes intuitive understanding and we're all trying to understand more deeply things. Why is this happening in my life? Why did that person act in that particular way? Why did I act in a particular way? This is the time, rather than mentally running over it just in your mind, this is a perfect opportunity to bring it. So if you bring a word in, if you bring a sentence in, and you achieve samyam in it, you'll understand its true meaning. So if your guru said something to you, if you read something somewhere, bring it in. Bring Patanjali's words into samyam. Take one of the sutras and bring it into your meditation. By samyam on latent impressions in the mind, one comes to know his past lives. Again, your tendencies. Why am I this way? Why do I have a particular habit of acting in this way, responding in this way? Bring it into that moment of samyam. And suddenly you'll be able to see that cause, that dormant seed that has emerged in this particular way. And bring it out and say, oh wow. And suddenly your past lives, Swami often he would go to a place and instantly he would say, oh, I have a connection with this place. And he'd even be able to, he'd never say, oh, I believe this is what happened. But he'd just say, I think this is what happened over here. And he'd be able to just bring out this really full-fledged like <laughs> incarnation into just manifestation. He'd read about somebody, he'd hear something, oh, master said this. And he just, I went and read about the life of this particular king. And suddenly that king's life for Swami is just available for him to know. Things that aren't even available in historical data for us to know. And this is how the masters work. Swamiji often believed that Yogananda was Shankaracharya in a previous life because uh, master would tell stories from Shankaracharya's life that aren't really available in any other book based on Shankaracharya. And so again, this just ability to tune in and say, oh, there it is, and be able to bring forth from the past. And so you can do that with your own things. And, and you see how this, this process is, is this discovering, this uncovering of, you don't need to go out to people and you know, work it out and ask anybody for anything, really. Just bring it into that particular state. Of course, it means... <laughs> You need to have some, you need to get into a state of dharan, dhyan and samadhi. You have to have some complete absorption in that process, which also means that you have to have worked on those five things. You can't just suddenly say, okay, I'm just going to focus on this one thing. What about how you've acted all day? Is that going to allow you to focus? What did you do? What were your actions throughout the day? Did you practice the yamas and the niyamas? And each day, a lot of our meditations depend on how that, how the energy of the day was. And if we acted in alignment with dharma, oftentimes that manifests in the samyam experience. Samyam on distinguishing marks on other person's body, this is an odd one, gives knowledge of the nature of his thoughts. Now, Swamiji here says, I don't know what particular distinguishing marks Patanjali is talking about because it's like what distinguishing marks on their body like their birthmark or you know they have a scar or something but Swami says in his understanding of this sutra he says it's about the understanding of the distinct ways they carry themselves the way they sit the way they talk the distinguishing features of of their physical presence by samyam on the distinguishing features of their physical presence comes the knowledge of their inner thoughts. So just by the way you're looking at a person, how he's sitting, how he's speaking, how they're carrying themselves, if you're able to attune and you know, absorb yourself in their energy, you'll start to be able to feel, what is this person actually, what's really going on in here? And not just 
what are they saying and how are they talking. Isn't that a beautiful, I mean, <laughs> how else do the masters know what's going on in our minds, the thoughts that we're thinking? Because they just have complete unity with us. They've absorbed themselves into us. They see us as light. I'm one with the light, you're light. This is what you're thinking. <laughs> as master said to one of his disciples, oh, you have a bitter taste in your mouth, <laughs> you know, right now. You know, how did you know? <laughs> because it's my mouth as well. I have completely united <laughs> with your mouth of all things. But an amazing, such a practical tool as well. So when I'm trying to perfect this state of absorption, don't just think in the abstract terms of, oh, so then I will be able to have this experience of samadhi. Think also in real everyday terms. Wow, if I, if I perfect this attunement, I'd be able to use it in every way. I'd understand what people are truly saying and then respond to what they really need and not just what I hear them saying. I'll be able to understand where my issues are coming from. Where in the past was that dormant seed laid that has emerged now and what is the potential for it? Where is it going? Do I want to correct where it's going? And that's how transformation and change will happen. You see how important that stage is for us to be focusing on, to sit longer, deeper in those periods of dharan, dhyan and samadhi and then to apply it. Uh, one of our yoga teachers, she had this beautiful <clears throat> practice that she gave us when she would say, uh, when she's, especially when as a yoga teacher, you come and try to adjust somebody or correct somebody's posture. She'd say, you know, come close to them and first pay attention to their breath. And then she'd say, align your breathing to their breathing. When they're inhaling, you also inhale when they exhale. And she said, then correct them because you'll be able to feel the correction that they need. It was just so subtle. But that's what she was saying. Have that experience of samyam with them. Have some attunement with them. Don't just say, oh, this is the perfect pose. Come to them, attune to them, and then adjust them. And I thought about it when she first said that. I was like, well, we can do this in many ways. Oftentimes when I'm with somebody and we're talking and, you know, especially if they're asking something of me, I really pay attention to their breathing and I start to try to breathe with them. And it's a very, very interesting feeling. I also have this, uh, coming back to the distinguishing marks, I had this, you know, my, my brother and I, uh, we grew up fairly close and he has a particular style of walking. And there are times in my life that while I'm walking, I suddenly start feeling like I'm walking with, like him, and immediately I feel like him. And I just have, it's a very momentary fleeting because the moment the mind comes in and says, wait a minute, I feel like my brother and I've lost it already because by that time I'm now analyzing it too much. And, but it's a very interesting experience and, you know, reading Patanjali saying, if you have samyam with the distinguishing features of somebody's body and their presence, you can understand them more deeply. Similarly, you can do that with the breath. Samyam, in this case, now I like this. <laughs> I like it. He's like putting a little PS over here. Samyam, in this case, does not refer to a knowledge of a person's hidden motives. <laughs> this is such a weird kind of another. He's like, you know their thoughts, their inner thoughts but you may still not know their hidden motives. And Swami writes over here, um, that requires another Samyam, which will be discussed in the 35th Sutra. <laughs> All right. I quickly went to the 35th Sutra and I said, what's that other Samyam? You know, I want to know the people's hidden motives, which to Patanjali is different from inner thoughts. You know, in that moment, you'll understand how they're feeling, what they're expressing, but you still you need a different kind of Samyam to know their hidden motives. All right, we'll wait till the 35th. Samyam on the body and the light surrounding it can make the body invisible. Again, another beautiful try. It's something to try. In the autobiography, you have that experience where uh, Babaji, you know, he's like, uh, Sri Yukteswarji doesn't see him. And then he says, I was hiding behind the sunbeam or something. And... You know, that's the kind of experience we can have. You can make certain things master. Uh, there was this 
What was he bringing from Mexico? Mangoes? Yeah, he was in, he was in you know, uh, Mexico, he was coming back into the United States and he was carrying mangoes with him. And I guess at that time, maybe they were <laughs> not allowed because certain countries are very strict about, especially uh, plants and produce that you bring because they could bring with them uh, disease that can then spread in a country. Uh, so sometimes uh, I remember a completely off topic. A guy was not allowed into a country because he had mud on his shoes from his country and so they let, made him remove his shoes, put them into a little thing and only then could he come in because in case he brings with the mud some disease from the soil and spread it in this country. So, you know, so these mangoes were not allowed. Master said as, as he was crossing through customs and immigration, he just you know, covered the car with this blue light <laughs> and the guy came, we checked the whole thing, didn't see the mangoes <laughs> and he got to be able to go through. So you can use it in very practical ways. Uh, try not to use it for smuggling. This is not for smugglers to every day, I, every now and then you see this, um, these news items. You know, this gold was found in this pen that somebody had hidden here and I was like, people are so creative that way. But if you know how to have some young with light and your body, you have other ways to make things invisible. Thus also sounds and other sensations can be made to disappear. Now this is an interesting thing. And this is a very more easy to practice than making your body invisible. Um, oftentimes in meditation, if you see, you'll start here, you know, they're distracting sounds. But if you use that same distracting sound and focus on it, and you have a period where you can really absorb yourself in it, that sound really just does disappear. Disappears in the sense, it no longer is a jarring like, oh, I'm hearing it, I'm hearing it. Suddenly it becomes, in fact, the very opposite. And he also talks of sensations, and this is another thing I have tried a few times, and it might be fun for you to try, especially when it's extremely hot outside. I've not successfully done it with cold as much with heat is if you can just feel the sensation of heat on your body and just really focus on it, suddenly you don't feel hot again at all. And so these are, again, interesting, fun, practical, everyday realities to both play with, but also then to start experiencing and using. And then suddenly heat and cold are the same. Loud noise and silence is the same. You know, isn't, isn't that where we're trying to be, uh, get to? And Patanjali saying is, this is the way. It's all based on perfecting dharan, dhyan, and samadhi. So it's not just about, can you meditate in this perfect way? Is that, can you then translate your ability to absorb, to attune to, to bind with any other reality? And that will also give you and feed you the version of the world that, in fact, we're all hoping to experience, which is beauty and upliftment, and nothing is out to get you, and nothing is there to harm you, nothing's here to hurt you. Everything is God. Karmas are of two kinds, those which manifest instantly and those which manifest more slowly. By samyam on these different kinds of karma and by observing certain portents of death, the yogi knows exactly when he will die. If you find that useful, you can try that. But of course, we know of the great masters. That's why we say that they take Mahasamadhi as opposed to, oh, they died. Is that they're very aware that this is the moment. They're building towards it. They're very comfortable with that truth. And then they consciously in that moment says, all oh, right, that moment has come. And they leave. And that, as Patanjali suggests, is an awareness of those karmas, just understanding those cross currents of energy that each of us have brought into this life and that will help us understand as he said before once life death and birth life and death become one future and past is easy to understand by samyam on friendliness and compassion one gains the power to bring out these qualities in others now this is an this is an interesting one because it also suggests that until we don't have some form of samyam, we can't perfect the yamas and the niyamas. Right? I mean, 
you, you see why these are called limbs and not just stages. It's not like, oh, we can move this and move forward. No, you have to already be working on Dharan Dhyan Samadhi as well so that it brings back into, you have to have absorption into compassion, absorption into non-violence, absorption into non-lying. And then, of course, that's what the world starts feeding you in return. Others start to bring out those very qualities in your presence. By samyam on strength, as in elephants, one draws their strength to oneself. Again, another beautiful way. And this is why we attune to the Guru. I'm not attuning to the Guru just because he's got a beautiful face and I'm trying to draw his qualities. Why do I meditate on Shiva? Why should I meditate on Ganesh? Why should I meditate on any form of the divine? Is so that I can draw their quality into me. I'm not just going to chant to Ganesh, please, please, mere obstacles hata do. No, let me just become Ganesh. Then all obstacles will be gone. Let me just become Shiva. Let me just become the Guru. Let me just become the elephant. <laughs> oh, I'm looking for strength. Tomorrow I have this presentation. I need a little courage. Let me do Samyam on a tiger. Let me, I mean, isn't this just a suddenly a kind of a creative, fun, amazing way for us to start experiencing the spiritual path. That is not this boring, and technique. Patanjali is really, I mean, I wouldn't refer to Patanjali as a fun-loving guy. <laughs> Maybe he was. But here I can see them just saying, hey, look, there are all these different ways. Oh, you're looking for strength? Meditate on the elephant. <laughs> You're looking for wisdom? Meditate on the owl? I don't know. <laughs> on Lakshmi? You know, it's just, is, this could be like a, a daily, joyful, creative, fun way for each of us to introduce elements into our meditation, introduce elements into our daily lives. Oh, I'm really not able to tune into this person. All right, today, let me have Samyam with them. Oh, I'm really not able to tune into this um, situation. Students, I'm really not able to tune into the Indian independence struggle. All right, let me do Samyam with, you know, Gandhi or, or uh, I don't know, who all are there? Patel and Shastri and Nehru and whoever. You know, tune into the Native Americans if you want to know what they felt like when the America, when, you know, people landed in the United States. Tune into any of this. And imagine what could be revealed. A friend of mine, and I take it with a pinch of salt, but this was a friend of mine who, um, when I was in college, introduced me to a lot of you know, Hindu scripture. And uh, he was a meditator, and he told me of a person he knew who was doing research on the planet Venus. And I said, oh, really, what was, what's he researching on? He said, every day he just meditates on the planet. And I was like, well, that's, <laughs> that's an interesting way to research. And as Master said, don't study the atom, become the atom. And in fact, there's a book by Annie Besant and uh, Ledbetter, who are the founders of the Theosophical Society, in which they lay out essentially their experience of becoming the atom and then describing the atom as they became it. I mean, this is a whole different way for us to study this world, to understand even the material physical manifestation. By Samyam on the inner light, Knowledge of what is subtle, hidden, or remote is obtained. And that's why, again, now, now he's come back a little bit to meditation. On that meditation, if you have the experience of light, really hold on to it. Really bring it in. Just absorb it. Feel it's coming into you. Feel it's just bathing all around you. Expand that experience of light. Have those three states. Dharan first, focus. I'm seeing a little purplish, I'm seeing a dot here, boom, you know, it's just like, don't just get excited about it and let it flit by. Bring your mind 100%, bring it to the spiritual eye especially, hold it there. That's your dharan. Then, really try to bring it, absorb yourself into it. Try to make you and it. It shouldn't be, I'm seeing light. It should little by little become, I am that light. And then, expand it. So that it's not just, I am that light, there is only light. 
and then starts to reveal, as uh, Patanjali says, that which is subtle, hidden, and remote. And in this particular case, this begins to bring us the revelation of the astral world. You're able to start seeing the astral world. A very saintly man we met um, in Spain, sometimes, you know, as... I don't know what to say, mere mortals perhaps. It's hard to judge somebody's saintliness. So many people looked up to him as a saint. And of course, a lot about him suggests that might be true, but it's hard to say. But he had a near-death experience. And when he came back from that experience, he had this deep connection with the light and with Christ in particular. But he started seeing the astral world and the physical world kind of as one. And so, you know, he would look at people and he, he could just see their chakras well before he even knew there's a thing as chakra. I mean, he didn't know anything about the astral body. He was born in, you know, in Spain. Uh, he didn't know any such realities exist. And he obviously thought he was going mad. So, you know, he'd go to psychiatrists, he'd go to all these people and try to figure out what's going on. But he had this moment where suddenly the astral world and the physical world were just being revealed to him as one. He'd say he'd try to step on, on uh, you know, he was walking up the stairs, suddenly he'd see the astral aura of each of the step and he'd get really confused. Where am I supposed to step on that light? Am I supposed to step on the physical thing? And he says often he would lose his balance and keep tripping over stairs. So you can see it has its drawbacks as well, but generally he's just start to see. He's just start to see what's behind, what's subtler, what's hidden, what is this uh, kind of material world based on and hiding and, and obscuring from my awareness. By samyam on the sun, knowledge of the entire solar system can be acquired. Uh, for all those astrology aficionados out there, we've been uh, working with a lot of astrology energy recently, both at the ashram. A lot of our conversations seem to go that direction. We had a question this Sunday about it as well. He's like, well, <laughs> Patanjali decided to <laughs> once and for all just, you know, <laughs> say, all right, both of you. By samyam on the sun, knowledge of the entire solar system can be acquired. Because everything's revolving around the sun. Without the sun, None of these celestial bodies matter. If that energy of the sun is gone, they will all scatter. None of them will stay in their orbit. And so, of course, our inner sun is the spiritual eye. So he talked about the light. If you focus on the spiritual light, then you start to see the hidden things start to reveal themselves to you. If you focus on the more external light, the sun, then the realities of how these both astronomical and astrological um, objects and how they influence us and the role they play in our lives will also be revealed to you. Samyam on the moon gives knowledge of the stars' movements. Why? Because the moon has to do with the nakshatras, with the celestial constellations. How many are they? 27? Yeah. And so, again, this is the intuitive truth of astrology. This is how the rishis and all came upon, in fact, the understanding that, oh, wow, oh, Jupiter is not Jupiter, it's actually, you know, the Swadishthan. Saturn's not Saturn, it's actually the uh, Muladhar. Because they started to feel samyam. That exists in me, I exist in it, and starts to see how that moves is how my energy moves. How the moon's shifting is how my energy is shifting as well through the different nakshatras, through those different constellations, and what the vibration of each of them are. Because astrology being quite an exact science, so much, I mean, degrees matter. One degree here, one degree there, which particular nakshatra your moon in, is in will make a huge difference because you can have the same people having their moon in the exact same house, but then it'll matter which particular nakshatra of that house was it in. And that will suddenly change the entire personality of a person. Samyam on the pole star gives knowledge of the star's movements as well. Okay, so we can go both directions. I'm just trying to move a little through these so that we can get past them. We have five more minutes. Samyam on the navel plexus gives knowledge of the body's constitution. 
the Manipur chakra. So, what constitution are we talking about? This is again from an Ayurvedic perspective. So, you see this, this in just in 10 different sutras, Patanjali has really given us so many different sciences. Scientific knowledge can be achieved, you know, human relational knowledge can be achieved, Ayurveda, uh, astrology, Jyotish, and all of it has to do with some guy at some point having meditated on them. And then from there, they wrote volumes and volumes and volumes. And we can do the same. We don't need to write volumes, but we'll get to know about ourselves. So when we focus on the navel chakra apparently, and we really tune into it, we'll start to know how our body functions, what it needs, what I should eat, what I shouldn't eat, what's going to be helpful to me, what isn't. I mean, and we don't have to guess anymore. How many times have you not felt well and gone to 600 different things and tried homeopathy and tried your allopathy and tried the Ayurvedic and massage bhi karwa liya and isne mere ko pitta bhi bata diya and vaat bhi bata diya and you know, ye jadi booty bhi kha liya and ye ritual bhi kar liya, yaha puja bhi, I mean it's just like, you just see people going place to place hoping this will work. Hoping that this is the answer to my problems, this issue that I'm dealing with. And Patanjali says, all you have to do is attune to it. Absorb in it. Take the time to completely unite with it. And it will reveal itself to you. It will just tell you. It will immediately just say, this is what you need. In fact, in, this is where entire science is. You know, Reiki must have come from this one guy who just tuned into this flow of energy and he's just created this thing. Now, but the practitioners of Reiki aren't able to awaken the same energy. Because they're not, they're just following a manual and just like reading and just saying the few things he said. But that's not going to do it. Where's the samyam? Where's that complete absorption? In? Why? That's what will bring this out. And somebody else will do it and they'll create another system and give it another name. And then there'll be 10,000 followers to that system as well. And they'll all be like trying it for a few years and then saying, this doesn't work, so let me shift over to pranic healing now. And now that doesn't work and let me... And you just see people flitting from system to system, study to study, uh, you know, uh, health idea to health idea, diet to diet, because nobody knows. Everybody's guessing. Everybody's hoping. And so, isn't it just beautiful, these last few sutras, because they're just so practical. Every aspect of our lives, everything that you as a human being is trying to figure out, how do people function? <laughs> how does my own body function? How do I take care of myself? What's going on in the world around me? I mean, what is it that you're trying to know? Everything you're trying to know. How can I develop this quality? How can I overcome this habit? All you have to do. Now you see why meditation Everybody talks about meditation as this end-all, be-all, cosmic, elixir, you know, magic pill. Is not because you close your eyes and you sit up and somehow everything in your life will work itself out. It's because it's only an ability to perfect this state. As you work on perfecting in it, then you have to apply it. And you have to bring it into every other aspect of your life. And bring every aspect of your life into your meditation. Hold it in that moment of samyam. Feel what that experience is like and then see can you translate it also in your daily life. Magical stuff really, just amazing. So while we have that last minute, let's just take a moment, all of us together. And of course we're not going to maybe get into the experience of samyam, but Take just one of these sutras, one of these experiments that Patanjali is offering you and decide what, this coming week, what am I going to focus on? What would I try to have samyam with? Is it a tendency of mind? Do I want to find out which past incarnation or the past cause of that particular tendency? 
Is it somebody else I want to tune into this week? In the community, in our ashram here, we pray every week. We get to pick up a piece of paper and we are assigned a name that we pray for this entire week. Perhaps more than praying, we want to try this samyam with that person, understand them more deeply, connect with them more deeply. Is it perhaps some aspect of the world that you want to know more about, of objective reality? Do you want to meditate on the elephant and be as strong as he is? Our practice this week will be this attuning of, this absorption in connecting with something so deeply that it reveals its true hidden essence to us. Connect with the sun, connect with the moon. What are you going to do this week? Whatever you decide, whatever feels, calls out to you, in fact, go back to the book, just read, you know, there were so many, even I can't remember them all, but pick up one and just say, all right, this week I'm going to focus on this, and if, if something happens, do share it. Uh, we'd love to have, you know, not just say, oh, Yogananda Ji did this, we'd love to say that Prakash from <laughs> Delhi just did this and this, he had this beautiful experience and this beautiful awareness, and something was revealed, so if something does come, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, do write us. But uh, yeah, let's experiment with these things. All right, friends, have a lovely evening. This was a very fun, not our usual. Sometimes Patanjali was a little discouraging, but now suddenly he's like, oh, he's given us many, many, many different ways. Anybody who says the spiritual path is monotonous, he now has no reason to say, because there's so much to explore and experience. All right, everyone. Jai Guru.